I hope you can see these. This is our little illustration this morning. I want you to take it very serious, the passage. Parents, grandparents, take it very, very serious. Can all of you see? Chair one, commitment. Chair two, if you look in your bulletins, you'll follow this along. It's more in depth. I want to thank Bruce Wilkinson for a three-chair book that he put out. Very, uh, we've been going through uh, Judges, and it just happened to uh, fall off my shelf onto my book, I mean onto my desk, and I, I began to read it once again, and, and uh, it, I said this would be good for, uh, to add some of the material for fathers, I mean for a baby dedication day. Okay, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 2. But as you're turning, I want you also to listen to these three passages that deal with these three chairs. In Joshua chapter 24, in verse 15, we read, Choose for yourselves, and I want you all to be very, very attentive to this verse because right at the end, when I have all the parents down here with the children and the grandparents and any relatives that will join in with them. I want you to remember this verse because you will be repeating it. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You hear that used in a lot of uh, wedding ceremonies. Well, we're going to be using it today, right at the end of the service. But that's not the only passage in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, that tells us that Joshua was challenging the people that had gone into the promised land. This is what my family and me are going to do because God had told us to do this now you are challenged to do the same. But it says in Joshua 24, 31, just a few verses after that, we're told Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that were with him or after him who outlived Joshua who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. So they served them also. But there's a, that's what we're going to look at in chair two. But then we come to chair three in Judges chapter two, verses 10 through 12 and verse 19. Now another generation arose after the elders who did not know the Lord. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, and behaved more corruptly than their fathers. That's very important, because evidently their fathers had disobeyed the Lord. They did not cease from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. This last one, the first chair we see is commitment. The second chair is described as 
compromise. We could say the elders. First one, Joshua and that generation. And then the third one, the third chair, conflict. Conflict with the Lord. Third one doesn't have a very flattering description to it, does it? Not at all. What happened? Well, probably they did. Many of them did hear their grandparents or about their grandparents and about Joshua and about how God had delivered them, how he had parted the water, how he had allowed them to cross over, how he had given them victories. They may have heard some of the stories, but they heard the stories from two generations back. They were the ones who were able to grow up and be blessed by the peace from the sacrifice that their elders and Joshua, their grandparents, had provided for them through battle. They had plenty. And God told them before they entered the promised land, the Israelites, he said, be careful, watch out, because it is a land of plenty. And if you're not careful, you will rely upon the land and other things and not upon me. And so they remembered perhaps probably some of these stories. But they lived with peace and plenty. And with peace and plenty, unfortunately, comes compromise so many times. And then conflict. Compromise is what shaped their understanding of God. In other words, they began to live as God's people in name only. And we're going to look in more de detail at these three chairs, but I want you to look in chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. This is a sad picture. We've gone from Joshua, chapter 1, commitment, to elders, chapter 2, compromise. Now children of elders, cha uh, chair 3, conflict. Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bacham. That's a very important name. And he said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you as for you. And that's very important. God doesn't break his word. When we live in difficulty or we're being, we're facing our consequences, it's because of what we've done, right? It's not because of what God hasn't done. It's because of what we've not done. And so he says, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed me. What is this that you've done? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you. Okay, you're going to work it out on your own you're going to live that way, then you unfortunately will have to learn. We do that so often, don't we? We have to learn the hard way. And he says, these are the consequences. You'll have to learn. I will not drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your flesh. Many things that we develop in our life that we begin to just enjoy or we just accept, pretty soon they become thorns in our flesh. They, can, they begin to control us. And their gods will be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. That's where Bacham comes in. That's the name of Bacham. It means weeping. 
So they named the place Bachel. And they were sacri- or, and there they sacrificed to the Lord. So this is when Joshua dies. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel, each went to his inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders. Okay, those two chairs who, sur- who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at age of 110, and they buried him in the territory of the inheritance of Timnath, Harry's in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. And all the uh, in generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation, chair three, after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did it evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Baals, and they forsook the Lord and the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed their gods from among the gods of people who were among them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. Joshua, the first chair, he trusted God. God had led the Israelites out of bondage under Moses. And so God promised them the land of plenty, Canaan. But just because he had promised it to them did not mean that they would, have, they would just sit down and do nothing. They had to win these victories. It's just like in the Christian life. Just because we're saved doesn't mean that we're not going to be tempted. We will be tempted. But the wonderful thing about this, God never forsakes us. He says that. He promises that to us. And so the generation under Joshua were able to enter the promised land and God miraculously opened the flooding of waters of Jordan for them to cross. And they put the 12 stones up at Gilgal. Gilgal was a very important place. It was a place of victory uh, and blessing. And so in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2, we have the Lord pre-incarnate. In other words, the Lord appearing in a physical form in the Old Testament before he came as the Son of God uh, to the Israelites. And he is coming from Gilgal. That's very important. That's where they were going back each time, victory and blessing, and, and they were to meet with the Lord. And many wonderful things happened there. And so they had moved from victory, though. He came down to Bacham where they had been compromised and carnality and conflict. God was telling them at Gilgal, you trusted me. You knew victory and blessing. Now you have turned from me. Your home is Bacham, the place of weeping and judgment. The tragedy uh, of the shift of location is that God had committed himself unconditionally to his people if they had just continued to obey. He commits himself unconditionally to us. Each and every family in here, each and every one who has a child, he commits himself unconditionally to you as you come into his family and you become a child of God. And remember, that means that defeat is not necessary. Even though we yield to it a lot of times and we do fail, it's not necessary because God is there to help us. So having reminded them of his unconditional covenant, the Lord then reminded them of their responsibility. And uh, and so when he gives a uh, a commitment there of himself to his people, he is letting them know that victory is available. We just have to, by faith, accept it. So with the responsibility of unwavering obedience to the Lord came 
a resource of unlimited power through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit living within us if we are believers in Jesus Christ. Families. To live the godly life. But it doesn't mean that we're to sit back and do nothing. It's to be wholeheartedly following the Lord. So the angel of the Lord put it very simply to them. This is not what you did. But you have not listened to my voice. Why have you done this? So each chair represents a person's spiritual status before God. And they can be called the chairs of faith, if you will. The first chair believer is not only saved, but has gone beyond accepting the gift of salvation to walking with the Lord and has a journey with him. The second chair represents someone who has received the uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, but hasn't decided how little or how much they will follow the Lord. In other words, there's a distance there. Let me in, be involved in what I want to do, and I'll bring you into my uh, life when I want you to be there and, and be a part of me. In the second chair, people tend to slide, if they're not careful, further and further away and be much like you can't tell the difference between the, the second chair and the third chair if you're not careful. The third chair stands for someone who um, is not responded personally or has not responded personally to the Lord. Whether knowingly rejecting God or being confused over what it means to be a Christian, he, is at, you know, he has not committed himself to the Lord personally. He's at conflict with God. His decisions are based upon, you know, uh, his own life and what he wants to do, and that's period. And so the good news is that anyone, though, in the third chair can move to the first chair under conviction, allowing God to convict them of their sin and accept Christ as their Savior. You say, well, okay, Mike, that's good. Well, let me illustrate with illustrations that were given. Let's say chair one is Julia, Julia. Committed single woman. Her husband left her. She thinks of God as a close and loving father. Her physical father was mostly distant and cool. Being a single mom, she finds comfort in God's steadfast care. She doesn't mind talking about her relationship with the Lord to anyone. She talks freely about her time with God and about her spiritual relationship, whether it's on a roller coaster high or a roller coaster low. She talks and listens to God often during the day. She sees where he's at work. She talks and not only listens to him, but she has that study time with him every day. And whether traveling down the road in her car or at home, she's praying with God at times. If you ask her to draw a picture of her relationship, it would be one of her sitting on the porch with another person and her child out there playing and them talking about the child and the upbringing of the child and, and what's best for that child. And the other person would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone, some of her friends make fun of her and say that she's very religious. 
And her reply to them is, religion has to do with rituals, do's and don'ts, and sacred buildings. What I am in is an intimate relationship that is both the source and the result of my spiritual life. You see, obedience to her isn't a word she uses to make her do something or not do something. Obedience is rarely mentioned. It's not even a burden to her because she sees God as coming first. She has strong confidence in God and His wisdom, her values on family, priorities, whether it be movies she watches, how to dress, how to relate to members of the opposite sex, the importance of saving and giving money, all and more are based on God's rules for living that seem unpopular to society and many of her friends. Sometimes God's rules are difficult and even painful. His principles to live by are not always easy, but her experience of testing these principles by living them out has given her a treasury of settled convictions. She enjoys spending time in the Word of God. She enjoys spending time talking to God, listening to God, and sharing with others about God. Raising kids for her is a vocation. She's a single mom. She believes God's best for her right, right now is to get by on Modest money or, or living of any sort. She receives only the payment from her husband, support payments, and she lives in a small house that was owned by her parents that she rents out. And one day she believes that as her child is on their own, then she becomes independent. She expects to update her education, work outside the home, and her belief is that God is her Heavenly Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is her leader. He is the one who guides her. And her job is not her God. Is not her provider. She believes that any job is simply another means for God to work through her to touch others. But let's say chair number two. Compromise. That's Ernie. Ernie knows more about God, the Bible, and what's going on in the Christian world than anybody else in his Christian group. He's involved in a Christian group in church. He thinks more of God in terms of a powerful leader in a messed up world. He keeps just enough distance from God so that he can hear God's voice, but he's able to interpret that voice the way that he wants to. He believes, he's thankful, and, and he believes in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Generally, he wants God's power to help him succeed, keep him and his family safe, multiply his investments, and bless his food to his body. Amen. Being a Christian is important to Ernie. He sees Christians as turning out better than the world on the whole and nicer to be around. He believes staying plugged into church is a serious responsibility. But obedience to him, that word is outdated. You hear this today? 
is outdated. That's a 50s word. He prefers spiritual sensitivity. He believes God gives us our inner desires for a reason and they should be followed through with. Ernie really cares about what God wants, but he usually ends up doing what he desires to do. Ernie is familiar with biblical teaching and on morality and values, but unlike Julia, he interprets the Bible as a social document that best fits the times for which it is written. So it was written back then, you know, it doesn't fit everything today. Most of Ernie's beliefs about what is important in life have come down from his parents or grandparents. Let's look at chair number three, Kate. Kate's forgotten most of what she learned from her grandmother about the Bible when she was young. That doesn't mean that she has no feeling for God. She has strong feelings about the idea of God. And at times even feels close to Mother Nature. Helping out at the local soup kitchen really gives her a sense of significance. When conviction comes, though, she pulls away. She feels uncomfortable. Religion generally and Christianity in particular strike her as out of date. They're out of date institutions that oppress people around the world. She makes her decisions based on what makes the most sense for her career. She has tried meditation and psychotherapy to get in touch with her inner self. She believes that the more she understands and follows her true self, the more she will be able to fulfill her destiny. It is true that sometimes the world can seem mean and harsh, but social change to her brings excitement to her many times she loves living on the cutting edge she simply measures what she wants with what society offers and strikes the the best deal possible she is articulate on current issues of concern her opinions had been no on most abortions until recent laws have changed and she's changed with the recent laws she is yes on homosexual marriages, maybe on physician-assisted suicide. She looks at these issues through relative eyes. It's all relative. For her, a person's job is playing field for proving whether you are worth anything, whether you're a winner or a loser in money, ambition, status, personal fulfillment. In other words, these show what your worth is as a person. She intends to win on all counts. You see, this is what had happened, basically, if you put it back in biblical times, to these chairs. This is what happens to families and believers if we're not careful. This is why this is a challenge today to these families. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, these families need to have a first generation experience with the Lord. 
Not a second, not a third, a first. You see, the second, if you'll look at it, was based more on Joshua and how God worked in his life. Oh, yeah, they trusted the Lord, but they based more on they trusted Joshua. The first, though, with Joshua, he trusted God. And this is how we do it as families, or we should do it. Now, we failed, a lot of us have. And we can find forgiveness in the Lord, thank God. But we need to help each and every one today to make sure that these precious little ones have a first-generation experience. Mothers and dads, please, don't just get involved in church. That's good. Don't just get involved in Sunday school. That's good. Don't just get involved in choir. That's good. Or, in, or doing other activities. Mothers and fathers, get involved with God. Have that personal walk where you can share with your child about how God is working in your life and they can see that it's real in your life. And help them not only learn the Bible studies and, and Bible stories in, in Sunday school and church and say that these are true, but also share with them about your experience. And then as they begin to walk as little children and even older, you begin to share with them as they meet conflict and difficulty and other things and how they're blessed and how y'all are blessed, that God is behind all of that. Let them know that God is at work. Where are you, families? What chair would you describe yourself as sitting in? Would it be commitment? Be careful. Would it? I've struggled with this also. Would it be, yes, a Christian, but uh, your life has really been based more on what you heard from your parents or somebody else than what you're experiencing yourself? And maybe compromise has entered in, or are you lost and without Christ? We're going to have a time of invitation and then it's going to be a dedication of the children. And parents, this is why I wanted to share this with you because this is so very important. I want you, when you're repeating this, to take it to heart and right at the end, grandparents and everyone else, when you come down to join them, I want you, as you look up on the wall, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to have an invitation. If anyone would like to come and receive Christ as their Savior, then I pray that you will.